So good evening, everybody. Uh, my name is Shuzo Brad Furman. I'm one of the priests with the Dragonfly Sangha. And I wanted to talk to you all this evening about the six uh, paramitas uh, and some of the things I've learned um, in my practice, uh, particularly around the uh, paramita of patience. So I'll talk very briefly about the, the, the paramitas or paramitas as, as they're sometimes uh, known. Um, talk about patience and then discuss some of the practices that we can uh, use to develop patience in ourselves. So there are six uh, paramitas, or like I said, the perfections of a bodhisattva. Uh, they are generosity, or dana in Sanskrit, uh, ethics, or sila, patience, or kshanti, diligence, or virya, concentration, or dhyana, and then lastly, wisdom or prajna. Um, now, because these are described as being the six perfections of a bodhisattva, I used to misunderstand them as being traits of these perfectly enlightened beings. Um, and I had trouble relating to that because even though I, I certainly have a, a perfectionist tendencies in my work, I tend to beat myself up a little bit, uh, I, I certainly wouldn't describe myself as being perfect. And... Similarly, with the Bodhisattva's vow essentially to free all beings, to liberate all beings, um, I kind of had a similar misunderstanding with that vow. Because I thought to myself, you know, I'm, I'm here on this planet for maybe 80 years tops, uh, so clearly the job of liberating all beings must belong to some, you know, medical being, right? It's not something that I can do. Um, but I, as, I, as I talked about in my last talk, uh, with you all, the vow is is really something that we make with all Buddhists. It's something that is uh, uh, made in unity with the Buddhists who have gone before and those who will come in the future. And for that reason, you know, it's an it's an effort. It's a vow. It's not a requirement. It's not something that we need to do. And and similarly, we don't talk about Buddhism as being an achievement. It's a practice because this is something that we continue to work at. Now, also, you know, when I first encountered the, the paramitas, you know, a lot of Buddhist teachings are about the truth of existence. Um, you know, statements about what the, the Buddha and, and his followers found to be true. So the four noble truths, the five skandhas or the 12 links of the Prachika Samatpada or the, the codependent uh, origination. And... I know I was always tempted to look at the paramitas as being sort of just adjectives for bodhisattvas. So once you're enlightened, once you get to this place, this is what is said to be true about you. But the, the paramitas are practices um, for all of us who are striving to live a life that relieves suffering for ourselves and for others. And I realized that you don't have to be a bodhisattva to behave like a bodhisattva and to show up in the world in that way. And just like the Bodhisattva's vow, it's not so much about accomplishing it as it is about working on it and practicing. And similarly, the, the paramitas don't require that we be perfect to do them or that we do them perfectly, despite perfection being a part of the way that the paramitas are described. Uh, but the paramitas themselves are perfect because they can be done endlessly ceaselessly. They can be done over and over again for the benefit of all beings, and they're going to work. 
and I've heard someone refer to the to the paramitas in this way that that every moment that we practice these traits and bring these to life, we're bringing bodhisattva behavior into the world. And isn't that what we want to do as practitioners? Now, the Sanskrit word uh, paramita, it means to cross over to the other shore. And practicing these six paramitas helps us cross over the sea of suffering or samsara to the shore of happiness and awakening, which is nirvana. And this journey is a, is a lifelong one. Uh, the, the paramitas help us to see what it looks like to act out of our true self, like Sensei Tony talked about a, a week or so ago, and to live according to our, our Buddha nature. Uh, and a final way that we can think about the, the paramitas and, and the way that they're often described is antidotes to struggles or obstacles that we may face or things that may afflict us. So, for instance, generosity is seen as an antidote for greed. And diligence is seen as an antidote for laziness or sloth. And patience, the, the parameter that I want to talk to you all about this evening, is an antidote for anger. Um, so I'm going to focus on, on the parameter of patience or kshanti, as it's known in Sanskrit, or kanti, uh, as it's called in, in Pali. So, like I said, patience is an antidote to anger. And, and anger can be really tricky. Um, for us, because it's easy to hang on to our anger when it flares up because it can define us. It helps us to see sort of who we are and what we will and won't accept, right? When we encounter things in the world. Uh, and similar to, you know, the way the sun shines on us and casts a shadow, we can turn around and look at the ground and say, yeah, that's my shape. That's who I am. Anger can kind of be like that. Oh, this is what I won't and will do. This is what I will and won't stand for. But even though it can be tempting to use those reactions as a way to identify ourselves, we need to acknowledge the fact that anger is painful. And what makes anger tricky is because, because of that sense of anger or identity in anger uh, and the righteousness that we can sometimes feel when we get anger about things, we're compelled from our anger to protect ourselves, to protect our sense of identity. And anger will often drive us to act out or to seek some kind of resolution. Um, you know, to set things right as we see it, or at least to set them in our favor, right? Um, to, to get rid of the thing that angered us. But the thing is, when we're acting out of anger, we're not really resolving things so much as we are just escalating things. And, and honestly, we're more likely to bring more suffering into the situation, um, when we act out of our anger, then we are for both ourselves and for other people. So hurt feelings, taking reckless actions, you know, doing things that uh, wind up causing harm or just guilt and regret for ourselves or, or for people around us. And in that context, another way that I've heard uh, patients described is an act of compassion towards ourselves, right? Patience in the context of being an antidote for anger is an opportunity for us to be kind to ourselves and to act with compassion. So instead of when those anger uh, uh, fires flare up in us, instead of just pouring gasoline on it, patience enables us to face those challenges, to face the things that made us angry without losing our composure and our tranquility. 
and we find that we're able to cultivate the ability to be loving and compassionate towards others in the face of criticism or misunderstanding or open aggression against us. And it allows us to see the goodness and the beauty of others and not lose sight of that because we're angry. Now, another definition for uh, Kashanti is forbearance or receptivity. And I really like the, uh, the, the definition receptivity. Um, as receptivity is, is defined as a willingness to consider or accept new suggestions and ideas. Right. So in other words, in the context of anger, to not react to situations that would normally cause us to get angry and to suffer more. In other words, we have a choice to do something different and skillful or useful in those situations. Now, what is patient not? Patient is not tolerating harm to others or to ourselves. We mustn't let people hurt. And we also shouldn't fail to seek help ourselves. Um, patience also is not suppression. We're not pushing down anger to let it smolder in our guts, right? Um, patience is giving ourselves space and, and Kashanti can also be translated as capacity or room, right? Space to acknowledge that one, yes, we do sometimes get angry, but then to explore why, um, you know, is it because I'm in a hurry? Am I just hungry? <laughs> you know, and I, I like the Snickers commercials. I'm not myself when I'm hungry. Um, is it because I'm upset about something else entirely and I'm just lashing out in this particular situation? Uh, or am I projecting onto a person who maybe made me angry? Uh, something that I don't like about myself. Something that's unresolved. Now, the nice thing about patience as a reaction to anger is that patience allows us time and space between the event that may provoke anger and what we choose to do about it. And in that time, we can let go of that flare-up of anger. Not to say that we don't feel it, not to say that we don't ever have a reason to, to get angry, but that we can let go of those fires and realize why something made us upset. And then resist that impulse to react and return to a place of equanimity where we're going to make better decisions and take better actions and use better words, more skillful words. And so the, the paramita of patience is designed to help us with our anger in, in a few different ways. Um, to not get annoyed or angry in the first place. Certainly it can, it can help in that regard. If we do get angry, to not cling to that anger again and see it as our identity and something that has to be defended and set right. Um, and then even if the anger does linger, and let's face it, it does for all of us every now and then, to make sure that it doesn't ruin our day and to, to make us change the way we feel about the people around us. Now, in teachings about the, the uh, paramita of patience, there's really three aspects that are often discussed. Um, essentially, being patient with others. Uh, enduring personal hardships, and then accepting the truth about life, um, which essentially is accepting the inevitability of the first two, right? That there will be people who will need to be patient with, and there will be hardships that we need to endure. Um, so I want to talk about these in turn um, and, and offer some thoughts on, on each of these three aspects of, of Kashanti, of patience. So... Patience with others, the first one, right? Tolerating when people annoy you. 
Um, it's also sometimes referred to as gentle forbearance, right? And this can be tough. And I, I know, especially over the last year, this can be really hard. Um, we've, we've been in lockdown, complete or partial, lo partial lockdown during COVID. And so we find ourselves either separated from people and so not behaving in the way that we normally would with them or just locked in with them, spending a lot more time with our spouses and our children than we normally would, right? And patience in these situations is important because when someone does hurt, up, hurt us, usually it's accidental, but even intentionally, Patience gives us space to kind of explore the situation from the spirit of oneness and empathy, right? It's time to think and not just react. So maybe, you know, maybe this person's having a bad day. Maybe they got some bad news. Maybe they're hurting. Um, a, a, a question that I'll hear people ask a lot in our order is, why did I do that? in response to uh, someone else's action. Because when you ask, why did I do that? What you're acknowledging is we're all together in this. And that in the same situation, maybe I would have behaved that way. Um, if I was in a hurry, maybe I would have done something rash. Or if I was having a bad day, maybe I would have said something hurtful. I know I have a, a habit, even though sometimes when I'm driving, uh, when people fly by me on the highway, you know, oftentimes the thought that jumps into my head is like, ah, oh, it's probably some kid just, you know, needs to go fast driving their their uh, uh, a car as, as fast as possible and recklessly. But then I'll think to myself, maybe that person has a pregnant woman in the backseat and they're trying to get to a hospital. Or maybe, you know, they're late for a job interview. And certainly I don't want them to drive recklessly. I want them to be safe. But realizing, you know what, I don't know what's going on with that person. And so I don't need to make it about me and I don't need to have the, the emotion that really comes into that situation be one of anger. And here's the thing. I, I acknowledge personally that I sometimes have a temper. Now, it was, it was more pronounced when I was younger, uh, specifically when I was playing sports. <laughs> so soccer and, and hockey growing up, I, I had my fair share of yellow cards and, and minutes in the penalty box. Uh, I'm not proud to say. Um, that's obviously gotten much better. Some of that, I'm sure, was just adolescence. But, you know, even as an adult, I still sometimes will get frustrated with things. Uh, I, I tend to have a very clear vision of how I want things to go. And when they don't go that way, I get frustrated. When people, um, you know, treat me in a way that I don't want to be treated, I get frustrated. And so I recognize that's a part of my shadow that I need to, you know, reconcile with. But I know that that's there. I know that wolf lives in my heart, right? And I even see it sometimes in my my daily life. You know, uh, uh, I'm sure we all have coworkers that we see their names pop up in our inbox, or or you know, uh, uh, an instant message come through in in Microsoft Teams. And I think, oh, what now? <laughs> you know, what does this person want? Now, here's the thing: most times, the situation is perfectly fine. And, and the affliction that they were causing me was simply me just hanging on to some past misdeed or past misunderstanding. Um, and so it's useful to meet those moments with patience, to recognize, hey, you know what, maybe there's something that I'm holding on to that is, is bringing about this anger, but that I don't have to hold on to that. I can let that pass away. And the more practice I get in letting that go, the next time it happens, it's going to be less severe. 
and the next time a little bit less and a little bit less. And there's there's one friend in particular, whenever I, I think on this topic, um, a good friend of mine, dear friend, I've known him since we were four years old in, you know, so in kindergarten. And uh, he, like me, also had a temper. So growing up, there were times he would really butt heads and, and get at each other. And there would be times that he would say things just to get a rise out of me, or he would pick on something that I really liked. And sometimes I knew it was because he was having a bad day, but he would say it and it would really get me going. And, and there would be times I would go in to, to, uh, uh, you know, to hang out with, with this person in a group and, and just think, oh, man, I hope they, he better not say something. I'm ready to go. <laughs> and I've, I've realized, though, you know, that, that those interactions were an opportunity for me to practice letting things roll off my back. And so instead of reacting, I would oftentimes just laugh along with him. If he would say like, oh, you know, you always do this. I'm like, you're right. I kind of do. Right. And two things happened. One huge change in me that I realized that I was no longer rising to the occasion and getting angry in those situations. And also it, it created a change in him because if he was looking for a strong reaction from me, he wasn't getting it anymore. And so there was less of a reward for him to do that. And also, too, I mean, we've we've grown up. We're, we're adults now. Um, but I, I always would, would jokingly refer to him. I don't think I've ever said this to him, but I would, I would always say it to myself, some of my friends, you know, this person's like a, a personal Buddha uh, in, in my life because he, even though he doesn't know it, has taught me a lot about myself and, and how to be patient and not give in to anger. Um, when, you know, even if he says something that might rub me the wrong way. And, and I wanted to share briefly a, a quote from uh, uh, Shantideva, who was an 8th eight, century Buddhist monk. Um, and he wrote a, a, a treatise called the uh, Bodhicharya Vitara, or the Guide to a Bodhisattva's Way of Life. And so I wanted to read these, these, uh, this few, or these few lines here. Um, Those who cause me suffering are like Buddhas bestowing their blessings. Since they lead me to liberating paths, why should I get angry with them? But don't they obstruct your virtuous practice? No. There is no virtuous practice greater than patience. Therefore, I will never get angry with those who cause me suffering. If because of my own shortcomings, I don't practice patience with my enemy, it is not he, but I who prevents me from practicing patience. And so I found those words to be incredibly meaningful for me and, and hopefully helpful to, to you who are, are watching and listening. So the, the second aspect of patience, the first one is, is uh, enduring if others uh, might annoy you, patience with others. The second one is enduring hardships. And this is learning to integrate the things that happen to us. So discomfort or illness or change or loss. And like I said, a lot of our reaction to suffering is self-protection. We avoid things that we don't want to do or think will hurt us, like going to the dentist. Um, you know, it's a simple thing, but can have a big impact on some people, myself included. I'm not a fan. Um, but we think ourselves so unfortunate when pain comes, and we really wriggle to try to get away from that whenever we can. And uh, Robert Aiken Roshi uh, once said, that dukkha, you know, suffering or unsatisfactoriness, as we, we uh, uh, call it in, in our practice, is the resistance to suffering. 
or pain. It's the anguish we feel when we don't want to suffer. So it's, it's not in itself. It's the reaction to the pain. It's that wriggling around and trying to get away from the pain that's really, that really causes us to suffer. And here's the thing, you know, big disruptions, big things that come into our lives, they can sometimes almost be a little easier to be patient with because they demand our attention. We don't have other things that we need to deal with. So they're less of a small minor nuisance and more of a big obstacle that we really need to focus on. And so the real opportunities for practice are not only those big disruptions that come our way, those massive hardships that we encounter, but those small things, worrying about the doctor's appointment, being bored and seeking out some kind of a distraction, getting angry in traffic, or reading the news and fuming over political events. And here's the thing. One of the reasons that we get so angry is because we believe that things that are just happening are happening to us. And there's a fundamental misunderstanding there. One, that we have the ability to control most of the things that, uh, that we need to endure, that are hardships. Um, you know, but that we, we somehow can set them right, right? And behind so much of our anger is something that we're holding on to, some expectation of how things should be. And, and there's a line that I heard from the uh, uh, Perfection of Wisdom in 8,000 Lines. Uh, it's a very short quote, but patient, but, but patient endurance, or the patience essentially, is patient endurance of things that fail to arise, right? So oftentimes we think about suffering in the midst of things that happen to us, but there can be a lot of suffering that comes about because of disappointment, you know, things we expected to happen, people we expected to be there for us. Um, the life we expected to live or the way that we wanted to react in a certain situation. And sometimes those things that we're holding on to, those expectations that life was going to be a certain way or things were going to work out a certain way, um, they can be really hard to let go of. And now you, you still want to work on those things. Let's say you sort of uh, assess your, your uh, uh, emotions in a certain situation and you're like, yes, this has to do with this. You know, maybe something big happened in your past and you, you need to spend time working on that. And that's okay. You don't necessarily want to try to let go of something really big that might demand more of your attention and more of your time. But what you do want to do is develop that habit of letting go of the little things, responding patiently to the little things. So things like, you know, minor aches and pains, right? Um, you know, and, and again, like I said, I, I'm no fan of the dentist. I've never been a fan of the dentist. I've had some, some, uh, experiences at the dentist that were, were sometimes quite painful, but I know too, if I, if I, uh, even if I'm just going for a cleaning, you know, uh, I'm like, oh man, they're going to find something and it's going to be, you know, I'm going to have to, to pay for, to get a cavity filled. It's going to be uncomfortable. I hate the drill, the sound of the drill, the feeling, everything about it. And I just, you know, the appointment might be 30 minutes long, 45 minutes long. And even if I do have to get some work done on my teeth, even that's only going to be 30 or 45 minutes long. But the amount of suffering that I inflict on myself <laughs> because I'm so distressed about having to go into that situation is just hours. If I have an appointment on Thursday from Sunday until that morning, until I walk out of the office, I'm just thinking about this thing, just really worrying about it. 
and the discomfort is so temporary, but the suffering can last for such a long time. Um, and so patience and being able to respond more skillfully to those situations and let go of the anxiety rather than just carry it with me and just worry over it and worry over it can be really useful. Um, I know too, a larger hardship, um, you know, I, I, I live in a house, it's not in a floodplain, but I've experienced some flooding over the, the, the years that I've been here. And, and sometimes it's been pretty severe, not, you know, house underwater severe, but three feet of water in my basements destroyed, um, you know, mementos and things I had in storage down there ruined my furnace, uh, uh, once or twice. And just this last Christmas, uh, uh, I think it was the day, one of the one or two days before Christmas, there was flooding and my sump pumps were going and pumping out water. But oh man, even though the water never actually came out of the sump pit, I was just so agitated that entire time, just really thinking, you know, not able to just enjoy the holiday season, but just thinking, ooh, you know, this water, man, why does it have to stink and rain so close to Christmas? Why couldn't this just be snow? At least it would be pretty, right? And even major hardships that come along in our lives. I, uh, 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 my wife passed away several years ago um, as a result of a car accident. Uh, most painful experience of my entire life. And in that moment, I knew that there wasn't anything I could do to make it not hurt. But I also knew that eventually I would get to a place where it would be okay. But that it would take time. And patience in those moments... Are in, is incredibly important uh, because you need to know you can't just act like nothing happened. You have to be there with the situation and with those hardships. Um, but those situations also provide a lot of perspective because you realize, okay, these big things, maybe these little things aren't quite as big a deal, right? Maybe a dentist appointment or a little water in the basement. Things certainly could be worse, right? And that leads me to the, the third aspect of the practice. So we talked about being patient with others. We're talking about enduring hardships. And now the third aspect is just accepting the fact that those two things are inevitable. Right? This is part of a right view on the Eightfold Path, right? That there is dukkha. There is suffering. There is uh, unsatisfactoriness that we encounter in life. This is inevitable. Life will sometimes be stressful and difficult. It's temporary. Everything's temporary. Things will change. People will sometimes annoy us. They will let us down. Great things are going to come our way, but things are also going to break. Relationships are going to end. Jobs are going to go away. Friends and family, dear loved ones will pass. Our health will fade. We're mortal, right? Also, sometimes, quite frankly, we can be selfish and we're responsible for a lot of our own unhappiness and a lot of our own suffering. And here's the thing, this is all compounded by the fact that life is really uncertain. We don't know, we know that this stuff is going to happen at some point, but we don't know when. And in order to avoid not knowing, we'll cling to things that we know are false. We know are ridiculous explanations of why something happened rather than just being with not knowing. And that's one of the reasons why... Not knowing is one of our clarity precepts in our tradition uh, because it encourages us to approach situations more wisely, openly, and with patience to recognize that, hey, I don't know what's going to happen next. And so, one, why will I worry? And two, if things do go wrong, 
um, or not the way that I want them to, we can create that space to respond in a, in a more skillful way, right? It allows us this, this, this embracing a sense of not knowing allows us to accept the emptiness, the openness of things that come our way and to not see the, the hurt and the harm in those situations so much as seeing the possibilities of how we might respond and what we might do with those in a skillful way. And a lot of folks, when they hear that I'm a Buddhist, they'll say, oh, well, you know, that makes sense. You're a pretty happy and easygoing guy. Uh, my friends, even a group of my friends will even jokingly call me poly positive. <laughs> um, and, and here's the thing, you know, and I'm, I'm very happy that that's the case. Um, and if that's part of my personal brand, that's excellent. I will, I will take that. But, uh, you know, Buddhists, they, they have a reputation for being fairly easygoing and happy. Um, not because things go our way, but because or that we we don't care about anything that's going on in the world or care about ourselves or don't have things that matter to us or people who matter to us but it's because we have a very intentional practice that helps us to find happiness in the midst of an ever-changing world right that's something that we're focused on we're very intentional around finding happiness balance equanimity and integrating the things that happen to us so that when they do we don't lose our minds and if we lose our minds, we don't cling to it. And if we do cling to it, that we cannot let it ruin our day and ruin our relationships with other people, but work with it. And this often, you know, means trying to seek equanimity. And that means on the, the good side of things as well. So when things go really well, we have good health, you know, get a new job, get a little bit of money in the bank, um, you know, that we're not clinging to that. Or when things go bad, when we have hardships, when we face insults or health problems or financial struggles, you know, that we don't get thrown off by that. And, and when things go well, that we don't insist that, okay, now life has to always be this way. Whether it's favorable or unfavorable, we want to make sure that we're practicing patience. Because whether you're carrying a, a glass of really expensive wine or you're carrying a bucket just filled with liquid waste to the brim, you don't want to move so fast with either of those that they're going to spill for very different reasons. But you want to be very mindful with how you handle both the really good things and the really bad things because haste and, and a lack of patience will, will lead to uh, uh, some pretty bad results. Right now, I've been very fortunate uh, over the last year with the uh, with covid that my family my friends have have been healthy we've been employed everyone's generally been well um and i was thinking about this the other day and and just kind of you know metaphorically sort of polishing the glass like wow you know things are actually good right now and an equally metaphorical kind of came out of nowhere uh, to kind of remind me like it won't always be this way and and there was just suddenly a big crack in that glass i'm like boy, it won't be. I, I should really be thankful and grateful that it is right now because I know what it feels like to, to lose someone. I know what it feels like to not be well. And it's good to be grateful when you are because enjoy that moment because it won't always be like that. Um, we need to accept that truth. We need to work with it. And here's the thing too, you know, I, 
for for many years in my career, I've been involved in operations. And operations, your goal is to make sure you account for everything and make sure everything goes well. And it can be tempting to do that in life. I'm a big list person. I have to-do lists. I say, today's going to be about this, and I'm going to get this done, and this is how things are going to go. But life doesn't go to plan, right? We know that. We know that from our past, and we know that that's true about our future. And so when things do change and break, we need to make sure that we approach them with patience and not just let ourselves fall to pieces. But work with those moments and take skillful and creative action. And here's the thing. Patience can only be developed by using it. This isn't something that you can approach intellectually and say, well, you know, if one of these big things comes my way, well, I'll be sure because of my my Buddhist leanings and my spiritual practices that I'm uh, that I'll be fine. You know, practice it, use it. Um, you know, it, it, it patience is one of those things that we can develop through our ego selves um, to better connect with our true self, with our Buddha nature, right? And believe me, you're not going to need to go looking for opportunities. They will find you. Um, now, I know in, in Buddhist mythology, there's there's these notions of these gods who live in these god realms, right? Really positive karma from, from lives, and you get to go and live in this paradise for thousands of years where you're happy and nothing ever goes wrong. They don't suffer. But here's the thing. Those gods who live in those perfect worlds will never get to practice patience and, and experience awakening because there's nothing there to allow them to work on it. That's something that we, as human beings, have an opportunity to do. These lives are tricky, but they give us enormous opportunity to practice. So what are some of the practices that we can do to better develop patience? Well, like I said, you have to work with the small things. Um, take everything that comes into your life as an opportunity. You know, your personal Buddha, right? Who in your life right now is maybe one of those personal bodhisattvas to help you? You know, nagging children, traffic jams, aches and pains, things like that, a toothache. Um, apply patience in that situation. See what happens, how it changes. Um... So some of the, the practices that we can employ here, one, certainly from our tradition, uh, the four questions, you know, when you have a really strong emotion, when you're, when you're dealing with something, you're really hung up on something, evaluate the emotions and the, the physical sensations that are arising in you, um, and kind of strip them of their fangs and work on them and, and develop a wise response. So those four questions, you know, you're, you're challenging this, the, the thought and creating space by asking yourself, what about this thought may not be completely true? You ask yourself, you know, where did this thought come from? So what belief brought about this thought? You, you can apply a sense of oneness by asking yourself, has anyone else ever experienced this? And chances are, yes, they have. And then finally, taking skillful action by asking yourself, well, what would it mean if this were true? And what can I do? in response to this? What creative or experimental action can I take to see if I can change the way that I feel in this situation? And oftentimes going through the, the four questions and we're, we're asking ourselves about the, the models that are the beliefs that may have led to these thoughts. You know, one that often comes into to, uh, uh, our vision 
when it comes to being angry and, and needing to exercise patience is this notion of self-esteem, self-confidence, right? The, the notion of needing to integrate both our true self, you know, and self-esteem, this, this notion of being um, the absolute with the relative, our ego self, um, this notion of self-confidence and, and, and this notion of ourselves that's related to doing and having, right? Because what, what's true is that our true self is always there. It can never be injured. Even if our ego self may take a hit and someone insults us or we have pain and now suddenly we find that we're not able to do the things that we used to do or our reputation has taken a hit or we lost our job and we feel a little uh, a hit to our self-worth because of that, our true self, our Buddha nature is always 10 out of 10 on a scale of 1 to 10. And we realize that that true self is always there, that Buddha nature is always there, that you are that you'll immediately feel this loosening. Oh, thank goodness, right? Another practice very simply is calm abiding. You know, you have a uh, silt in a glass of water, you spin it around, you sit it down, you let it set, and the dust will slowly just sit at the bottom. And sometimes what we need for that is physical space, mental space, right? We need to take time to sit and abide and just see what's coming up in our minds bring ourselves back to the breath and give our, our minds an opportunity to rest and don't always feel like you have to go, go, go because believe me, technology and the expectations of others can make it feel that that's true, but you don't have to. Take that time for yourself, right? Um, also, like I, I talked about earlier, gratitude and contentment can oftentimes arise out of this practice, but you can do it in the opposite order and bring gratitude into a situation. And when you realize everything that you do have, even if it is only just for now, it can really help you gain that perspective and make you a little slow to anger. And another thing is just maintaining a sense of humor about it all. Um, because sometimes life gets so ridiculous that you just need to laugh at it. Um, you know, you slip on ice and you fall and you hurt yourself, but there you are lying in your driveway with your things scattered all over the place and you just have to kind of laugh at yourself, even though it does hurt. But what a weird situation to be in, right? And uh, uh, one of the, the things that comes to mind when I, when I think about um, having a sense of humor is uh, Calvin and Hobbes. There's a comic strip. I love Calvin and Hobbes. It's one of the... the it's my favorite comic ever written. Um... And I think just one of the most brilliant pieces of art <laughs> as, a, as a collective ever created. Um, but there was a, a comic that ran on, it was a Sunday comic, so big, beautiful color comic that Bill Watterson was known for, um, that ran Sunday, April 12th, 1992. Now, it's weird for me to quote from a comic because it's such a visual medium, but let me, let me try uh, here. But so, so Calvin and Hobbes, his imaginary stuffed tiger friend, were through the woods and Calvin said boy isn't it strange that evolution would give us a sense of humor uh, when you think about it it's weird that we have a physiological response to absurdity we laugh at nonsense we like it we think it's funny don't you think it's odd that we appreciate absurdity why would we develop that way how does it benefit us and Hobbes who's always the wiser of the two responds well I suppose if we couldn't laugh at things that didn't make sense we couldn't react to a lot of life and Calvin, after a long pause, says, I can't tell if that's really funny or really scary. And so it's great to see even uh, six-year-old Hobbes practicing the precept of not knowing. 
in that situation. So I, I hope that you found this helpful, um, this notion of uh, one of the, the paramitas and some of the other clergy uh, will be talking about some of the other paramitas over the next few weeks. Um, but I hope that you found these words helpful and, and have an opportunity to practice patience in your own life, to think about patience as an antidote for anger, as a, an act of compassion for yourself and a better, more skillful and creative way to respond to the things that might um, afflict you every now and then. It is inevitable because we're human. Uh, if you do want to learn more about our practice or, or want to speak with someone, uh, please do visit our website at uh, www.asksenseitoni.com um, and come back here every uh, Monday evening for additional meditation services, liturgy, and uh, Dharma talks like this one. So thank you for your attention, uh, and I hope you all have a great week. <laughs>